Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 255 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan, joined, as always, by my friend Benjamin. And my friend Hello. Sam. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, this week, we have been bailed out of our usual flailing around madly for a topic by the beginning of spoiler season for Zendikar Rising. Uh, how have you guys been seeing the set so far in terms of hype slash excitement levels? I'm actually pretty hyped for it. Like, I did, wasn't really paying attention to Ikoria. I think I was just coming to terms with, like, COVID and also a bunch of cards in Standard that I hate. But, like, there's a rotation coming with this set. And I think the mechanics look really sweet. Like, I'm really excited for Party. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hyped for this set. Yeah, it's nice that there's finally a mechanic named after me after all I've given to the game. <laughs> I'm excited for that as well. Um, I certainly party as a mechanic that it has that like rare combination of elegance, flavor, and like uh, look, I, 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 it looks like it'll be fun as well. It, I, I already can imagine a fun gameplay pattern of assembling a party and drafting kinda, sounds fun as well. I kind of feel like a lot of me- magic mechanics are just like sophisticated ways to count things but it really matters what you're counting and why you care about it and i think that the way party counts the num like it cares about the types of your creatures and and that's the number that it's trying to count and then deciding what to do based off that i think that's a really cool mechanic because i like things that are like creature focused incentivizes people to play creatures there's also like a lot of different stuff you can do with it and it also like imposes like deck building constraints because you wanna you know diversify your types so you can buff up your party um, mechanics, and it makes drafting interesting because it changes the value of each pick based on like what you already have. And yeah, I think you know there's there's good things you can count and bad things you can count. Threshold is a bad thing to count. Like you have to count your graveyard, the size of your graveyard changes a lot. Like it's not great. Counting creatures in play, that is good. Uh, that's a good place to be. I like it. Yeah, I think that... Yeah. I, I, I certainly agree that it's a lot of good ways to do standard magic. You know, ma- magic mechanics, the half that aren't counting things are, are just kicker variants, right? It's, it's one or the other for every mechanic that, that could possibly exist ever. Yeah, I, I also like that... The, like, I think this is just a pretty understand like easily grokkable mechanic you know like you you explain to someone like oh your thing gets better the more the more variety of of guys you have and they'll just be like oh yeah i get it okay that makes sense and i I think that's pretty sweet as well yeah i think the power of these abilities as well like can pretty nicely scale because there's that ceiling at four right your party it's it's not like one of those mechanics where they have to just worry about okay is somebody going to assemble you know, an infinite kill if we if we let you do two damage for each member of your, of your party, right? Because, like, that wouldn't be too high a bar to clear necessarily if it was number of creatures being counted, but because it caps out of that four, I don't know. I mean, also the difficulty of assembling a four-person part, like a four-type a four type party is really hard compared to, like, it's more than four times harder than just a, a one, right? So Yeah, they, they can having, having a full party is going to be right. very difficult. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's also just one of those, one of those mechanics where 
when you write, you can write out English sounding sentences that are just, that have mechanical meaning. Like when you have a full party is, is it's a cool, it's cool that the mechanic makes sense with when converted to English like that. That's not always true. All right. Um, so this week we, we're going to do our thing of, we picked out some cards from the spoiler to talk about. Each of us have selected three. We'll talk about those. And as always, we've picked out one card that didn't, necessarily have to be from the spoiler as our card of the week segment but before we get to our card of the week segment we get the incredible honor of thanking our supporters at patreon.com they are kikijiki kyle jecha mt batiste batiste jr and bobby and i realized just now reading through this because in our little document we have the patron birthdays in parentheses next to their names, the, the ones in the illustrious friend tier, because of course a reward for that is to have us sing happy birthday. Uh, and by the way, some of the people on this list I don't have birthdays written down for, so if you're among there and you care, send them over and I'll, and I'll add them in. Um, but I realized we, because we didn't do a show last week, I didn't check them last week. And last week we therefore have passed over one of these birthdays, all because of Benjamin. Whoa! And there was an emergency. And this is true. It's because it was Benjamin's fault that we didn't do a podcast last week. He decided we weren't going to do one. Um, so, I don't know. How, how, what, do you, what do you feel is the, the fairest way to resolve this conundrum here of Kiki so, Kiki having had a birthday between last week's show and now? So, last I would week's like to make a counterproposal. Okay. My proposal is that it was Sam's fault we didn't have a podcast last week because I was ready to do the podcast once I had dealt with my emergency, which is like, like 11. And Sam was the person who said that it was too late for them and he just wanted to give up. So I propose, as a penalty, Sam should have to sing Kiki Jiki your birthday. Wow. This sounds wildly unfair. Hmm. <laughs> now, now, in my position as as the a person here who casts a deciding vote, I, I'm in. I've got a lot of power. Normally, fears of retaliation, political concerns, but given that Ben has already you know staked out a claim here, I'm not worried about him turning this around on me, putting me in a, in a position where I've overextended myself. So I'm happy to second this motion. And, and are you demand. not worried about the precedent you're going to set, where like? you know, people just backstab each other in this way all the time. <laughs> in fact, I would describe myself as the opposite of worried that might happen. I'm, I'm hopeful that will happen. <laughs> um, You're actively excited for the precedent you might set. Yes, that is. I, I also, I feel like I have it on good authority that this is what Kiki Jiki would want. Yes. I think that, it, you know, given that they signed up with, with Kiki Jiki, which by the way, the reason they signed up was so that you would, th- it was like more than a year ago now. So that you would uh, you would say you know Kiki Jiki, something that you're normally very not want to do. So this is now they've now been supporting us for over a year, and the the least you could do is just say say the word Kiki Jiki in beautiful song once more. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair. Also, we avoid the. Uh, the the disastrous cacophony that is the three of us trying to sing simultaneously over uh, VoIP. I guess what I will request then is that to to balance the the scales of justice, we have at some point each of you have to do a solo act as well. 
I think that, that seems only fair to me. Honestly, I, I I would much prefer having to sing solo once every three times than having to sing in coordinated fashion once every <laughs> one times. I'm willing to accept this deal, but only because I'm excited to, to see what you'll come up with, Sam. What does that mean? What am I going to come up with? Well, you said that we have to accept doing some sort of solo arrangement. It's unclear. Like, you know, there could be a new illustrious friend at some point, and we would have to do some solo arrangement of something ridiculous. I wouldn't put it past you to arrange for something like that. That's true. I would probably do something like that. <laughs> that does sound like me. Which is why I assume you got us to agree to this. I don't have any particular plan yet, but I'll I'll set a scheme into motion. Yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, a good a good schemer sets makes space for his plans to become available, as you have just done. That sounds very deep, but I'm not sure that it is. <laughs> Stop stalling. <laughs> Start singing. <laughs> All right, ready? Yes. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker. Happy birthday to you. There's my my once a year breaking of of my pact to say to say the the forbidden words. Whew, the forbidden words and the forbidden sequence even. That yeah. is uh it's that tough. Remarkable show of commitment. Wait, so is Sam not allowed to just say Jiki, like, just normally? Just, like, on an average well, day? It, they are forbidden because of the the sequence, right? It, okay. Um, so in addition, <laughs> in addition to Kiki Jiki, happy birthday. Sorry, sorry we didn't do a show last week. Uh, we also have... Oh, I, I, wait, I mentioned all the illustrious friends already. You guys don't get two mentions in a single episode, except for Kiki Jiki, uh, being that it's their birthday. Uh, the good friends of the podcast are Adam, Zach, Britton, Kyle, Caroline, Eric, Sam, Duncan, Wilson, Tobias, Paul, Jarvis, crewmate, you, Booster Therapy, Greg, Hot Soup, Ari, Ari, Rob, Matthew, Brent, Moose has brought the shenanigans detector, and Sam, I, I have another surprise to pull on you now. The next person on our list has actually requested that you be the one to read their name, as they felt you were being a little bit left out of the, the patron section of our show, which, of course, now uh, it happens to be the same one where you've done a beautiful solo rendition of Happy Birthday. But, uh, of course, well, I actually, I actually really appreciate that. All right, I, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Winchester. Asher, Dunn, and Will. Thank Sorry, you all. What? what? Asher who and Will? Dan. <laughs> Asher, Dan, and Will. <laughs> I didn't say Dunn. <laughs> Oh no! Is is it because I miss? Okay, here here's now here's your possibilities, right? Is it because I misread it? Is it because I was thinking about something that you know rhymed with done, with done? Is it because we were nearly done with the section of reading the patrons, or was it just you know one of those one of those things where you just you you smash the table and your Nintendo sixty four gets a little messed up, and it's kind of hard just, to explain exactly why. Just let me know if we need to call the Bondulance. Yeah. Tristan. As <laughs> uh, a all-time all-time great tweet. All right, uh, let's let get me out of here. Uh, let's move on to to our card of the week segment. Benjamin, what is your uh, card of the week? My card of the week is Dranith Magistrate. Dranith Magistrate is a one-three for one and a white. It's a human wizard. 
Um, and it says your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. Now, I am talking about this card because I have an interesting fact about it that I learned when I was looking for cards that would work well with Archpriest of Iona, which is a card from the new set, um, which, like, it's a one-drop that gets power equal to the number of creatures in your party, and it's a cleric. So I was trying to check what sort of creatures were, you know, legal and standard currently to combo with that. And Dranith Magistrate is the only white wizard in stan- like that's legal in future standard right now. So I don't remember what rotates. I think M after M21. So what is that like? Theros forward. So from Theros forward, the only wizard that is exactly white is Dranith Magistrate. So, so here's a, a fact as well about just about Theros that apparently they announced. Uh, red will have no clerics, black will have no wizards, white will have no rogues, and blue will have no warriors. Um, okay, therefore, that makes sense. only mono green will have access to a full party, just sort of as a baseline within their colors, and then uh, any two color pair will have access to all uh, a full party by themselves yeah it's, it's cool as well because mono green is like the there none of the four types is more green than any other color right but all of them are I, at least a little green green rogue sounds a little strange yeah, to me agreed but uh, not the, unheard of no not out of, not completely out there but just a little unusual if right, you if you'd asked me one that wouldn't make the cut there i think that would have been the one i would say I, I just i like that there's a type for each color, and then the color that doesn't get a type gets all the types as a you know at a lower rate, but isn't like yeah. missing any of them. I think that that's a well, a really a, like one of the the best ways you could divide four types among five colors. Also, green is just the creature color, right? right. And this is like a creature mechanic, so yes, I would have guessed it would be a white mechanic, though. Actually, like I would have. It, party building feels like a very a more white thing than green thing to me. Yeah, but I think on yeah. the plane of Zendikar, it's like an everybody mechanic. Like, yeah, it feels like somewhat of a natural extension of ally for sure. Yeah, they could easily have done it with, um, like, with a druid instead of cleric if they wanted to go that way. And well, no, but they have to hit the D and D. Oh, I guess yeah. Druid is D and D, but not as not, as, not as much as cleric. D&D. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting fact about Dranith Magistrate. So I probably won't be playing that card in my party decks because it's really incredibly weak, what, especially what since Benjamin? it doesn't even stop companions. That's a banned card. Uh, it's banned in Brawl. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> So hopefully they they give us some more white wizards because that the the star like the creature with power equal to your party size is that card is pretty good I think. Yeah, I mean we we've seen a blue white wizard already, right? The the Linvala. Yeah, that's, that's on the that's on the docket to get talked about. And that card definitely looks pretty strong. Yep. Yeah, on on the topic of of white wizards, I watched a uh, I, so Benjamin got me into watching speedrun videos of nice. various kinds. Uh, and I've w- watched many of the top ones that YouTube has to offer. Of course, many more still to go. But one that I watched was a tool-assisted speed run of Final Fantasy, a Final Fantasy game with just a full party of four white mages. It was uh... that's funny. <laughs> I, 
I think the Final Fantasy ones, they have to do a lot of step manipulation, so it wouldn't surprise me if the tool assisted, like, the tool assistance was just, like, avoiding all encounters. Yes, I think it's, like, all encounters, except for a few that you can run from were avoided, and then RNG was manipulated through waiting for for frames such that you uh, never missed and your opponent never hit. Yeah, I think it uses, like, yeah, it uses the... There's some deterministic thing that it uses for a random seed that you can manipulate if you have uh, if you have tools. It's, yeah, it, it increments every two frames, and so if you start with a, a fresh, you know, cleared RAM in both the cartridge and the the console, it's uh, deterministic. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that this it is really interesting to watch those things. Even if like there there are games that I've watched speedrunning stuff of now that I've never played. Oh yeah, same. Same. I, I've even gotten into games because I saw a speedrun of them, and I was like, "Wow, that looks really cool." Um, all Celeste, right, Celeste being the main one there. Sam, what is your card of the week? Oh my goodness, I forgot we were doing card of the week. <laughs> um, my card of the week is Legion Angel, which is two white white for a four three flying. Uh, that's an angel warrior, so it fills out the warrior part of your party. Uh, and it says, when Legion Angel enters the battlefield, you may reveal a card you own named Legion Angel from outside of the game and put it into your hand. So for competitive play, that means from your sideboard. Um, and I think this card is really cool, and I'm also supremely disappointed by it <laughs> because I think this is like awesome space, and like uh, you know, it seems really neat, like a sort of squadron hawk, but you don't have to play them all in your deck. And it's interesting whether you play like a two-two split, a one-three split, like what you know, how many you put into your sideboard to go get. Um, but then you remember that it's a four-mana four-three flying that draws a card when it comes into play, which is just atrocious in the in the <laughs> modern world. Every card cantrips already right now, and this one always cantrips into another bad rate creature. So. I think this card is not very good, but is really cool. So, I mean, if this space, like, that could be still explored in the future, right? Like, this yeah, space it, is not particularly it, unique to this no, card. It's no, not, it's not like there's something about this card where it's, like, hitting a trope or something that you would expect to be whatever, um, to be, you know, a specific this specific card. So, it, I don't think it's a big deal that this one is weak, but... It's a little frustrating to me just that like card advantage has been so devalued by everything saying draw a card on it that this card that I think would have been cool and powerful in the past it is neither to me now. Yeah, there's something also about the first time they explore certain spaces that particularly like the you know the determinist or not deterministic but like having access to cards from your sideboard is a inherently a very powerful mechanic that i don't know i guess i guess i'm glad that they're not taking too big of a risk with the power level of the first time they've used this mechanic but also you know this is this was the time for it to make a splash and be really a really big wow moment to see in action and uh it's kind of like when they um you know when when black lotus first made it onto magic arena in like a forgettable event that nobody nobody remembered. Right? Oh yeah, that was unbelievable. Yes, you're just like you only get one chance to to put Black Lotus on Arena. Now this is is definitely not it's not the same as that, but it evokes a little bit of the same uh, the same feeling of like you know this this particular space could have been explored perhaps with with a little bit more of a bang. 
Yeah, and it's possible that I'm wrong about this and this card is better than I think it is, but I I don't know. I have a really hard time seeing 4-mana four 4-3 four, that draws you another 4-mana four 4-3 four, being the thing that you actually end up wanting, you know? This is going to be the I, one I where... Think, I think you are sleeping on it a little bit, Sam. I, th- I think this card is going to end up being pretty decent. Um, I'm not 100%, like, I'm not giving it an 100% chance to show up in standard constructed, but I think like sixty to seventy. Oh, okay, that that's a lot higher than I than I would expect than I would give it. I think this this card I think wins my award for the one that w- would be the most frustrating to <laughs> to play against in sealed deck. <laughs> you just you have your opponent cast it, and while it's on the stack, you're just like, oh no, you know, it's a four three flyer for four. I'm dead, and it just hits the battlefield, and your opponent just like searches their life or you know, it reveals a card to you from their sideboard, and you're just like. Ah, uh, why? <laughs> do you think you're supposed to do that if you if you get this card in in limited? Do you think you're supposed to if you get two of them? Do you think you're supposed to start them both? Oh, or hey, what? yeah, I, I actually I didn't think, consider that. You probably. I think it depends pretty heavily on your other four drops. Like it, the you have to really have to look at the opportunity cost because like four mana four three flying is a pretty good card that you could just put in your deck, but if you can. Like, if you're replacing it with something that isn't that much worse, I think it's okay. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely not not something I did consider, but something I should have before making that point. All right, um, my card of the week is Temporal Spring, which I realize now has not been properly pulled up by me. So let me go and do that. Oh, it costs one, a green, a blue. Yep, Temporal it's Spring. It's an instant. Costs one blue-green. It's a sorcery, Benjamin. Oh, it would puts, be very good if it was an instant, I it, think. It I thought target. it was non-land, but I think it's sorcery and it can target lands. Yep, it puts target permanent on top of its owner's library. Uh, and this yeah. is a card from Apocalypse. And it was the first card ever printed with the cost one blue-green. And Benjamin mentioned, you know, instant speed... Uh, was perhaps a, a way that they could make this powerful. But back in Apocalypse, they had a philosophy where they did not want cards that were printed with one blue-green to be miserably powerful to play against. Uh, and this was a trend that did not last too long thereafter. Uh, since then, we've gotten the following hits at the the, the mana cost of one blue-green. Uro, Oko, Rogue Refiner, Shardless Agent... And then a couple of a couple of medium medium ones at a uh, Trigon Predator, Risen Reef, Hadana's Climb, and Edric, Spy Master of Trust. Now th- those ones are a lot a lot more medium than the first four that I mentioned. But there's only like thirty cards at this mana cost, so uh, this this may be my this this is my pick for mana cost with the highest average power level. And Temporal Spring was the one that started it all. So are you sure zero? Well, hmm. Zero has a lot of weak cards. Zero has a lot of, like, yeah, there's a lot more cards that cost zero than there are cards that cost one blue-green. Certainly there are more busted ones. I think it is true. Yeah, they they print, like, you know, bone saws and uh, Darksteel relics. Yeah, but those cards have, like, all seen constructed play. Okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. Now, Now that you mention it. Uh, I guess uh, zero. Well, mental misstep wouldn't be zero because that that's one CMC. Hmm. Okay, zero zero is probably is probably I, the better answer. 
I do think that this mana cost is, is pretty good, though. Ooh, Plaxcaster Frogling. That was one of my favorite cards of, in Dissension. I love that card. That card is very cool. I agree. Kind of annoying that it could hit opponent's stuff. I think that was a, a poor decision on their part, but otherwise it's pretty cool. I don't even know what this card is. Bread for the hunt. It's uh, That's like a snack that you bring if you're going to go hunting. Oh, it's from Commander Anthology Volume 2. That explains why I don't know what it is or knew what that rarity symbol was. All right. Uh, let us move on to our main topic. So we've picked out each of each of us has selected three cards or in a couple a couple spots we've, we've fudged it a little bit but roughly three cards each to talk about and benjamin you have the honor of speaking first i do so my first card of the day of this episode is lotus cobra lotus cobra is of course a snake for one and a green it's a two one it has landfall whenever land enters the battlefield under your control add one man of any color so this card is a reprint from, like, original Zendikar. Um, back then it was a Mythic Rare. And it's funny because everyone complained about be- it being a Mythic Rare constantly because it didn't feel very Mythic-y. And now they downshifted it to a Rare, so I think that's like a little nod back to that whole shebang. Um, but Lotus Cobra was very good in Standard the last time it was legal. However, we also had Fetchlands the last time Lotus Cobra was legal. We do have Fabled Passage nowadays, but that's not as good at ramping Lotus Cobra like as fast as humanly possible. So I'm sort of curious to see where exactly Lotus Cobra is going to end up on the scale of things. I think if it were printed in the environment that exists right now, or rather maybe when the environment that existed when Cat was still legal, um, it would be unplayable because I think one toughness is just too much of a liability. And I think people just like play Paradise. Like I think Paradise Druid would just be a better card as far as getting you mana when you need it. Um, now, I'm not so sure. I don't really see anything that combos with it in Zendikar. My expectation of the card is that it's just going to be much weaker than it used to be. It is obviously good with Uro, uh, but at the same time, like you kind of want spells with Uro. So... And, like, you know, it lets you cast spells the same turn you cast Uro, but one thing that's nice about Uro is putting comes comes to play tap lands into play. So I think on the whole, I think Lotus Cobra is going to see a lot less play nowadays. Do you agree with me, Sam, or are you... you think uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I... It, I kind of... I think I do agree with you, actually, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty unlikely it sees quite as much play as it did in the past it's not it's it's definitely the kind of card that you know had its day in the sun and maybe now is less good than it used to be um but it doesn't seem necessarily bad to me like i still think it will see some play i guess is, is my position i don't think it's unplayable i think i think the euro thing is real the fab- fabled passage is also just a good fetch land that people play a lot of that yeah, it works definitely with, obviously. True. And the uh, the the new like landfall or like you can play your spells as lands thing, I think will also lead to it seeing a little bit more play than it otherwise Why? would. Uh, just because you'll have lands on demand when you need them more often. Okay. Like it well, will more reliably produce mana when decks have 
26 lands plus 10 of these spells. I don't know exactly how that'll break out, but if that is the the way that the things end up, then you know it makes sense that this would see more play, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like people are just better at interacting with like creatures like this early in the turns, and like the it just doesn't ramp you quite as hard. There's also no Oracle of Moldiah that was sort of best friends with Lotus Cobra. I, I agree that it'll probably see play, but it just it's definitely going to be less dominating than it was. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. It's lost a lot of its friends, a lot of the cards that you would want to play with it. Yeah, yeah I think it's reasonable to say that maybe, maybe Standard has... I, I don't know. Uh, do, would you say... Okay, let me, let me reframe it as a question rather than an assertion because I'm not actually sure about it anymore. Would you say that in addition to just like the supporting cast not being there. Like if there was more of a supporting cast for it, would you still be down for a Lotus Cobra type effect? Or, or do you think that that's more of a relic of the last time it was in standard as well? Oh, I definitely would be down for it. Like, like getting double ramp on turn three is really powerful, right? Like in yeah. the old set, like Lotus Cobra could just cast um, five drops on turn three. Or if you had two Lotus Cobras, you could even still cast five drops on turn three. <laughs> I say as I do the math. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bad. I think it's still the kind of thing that you people will want. Like it, it's still very powerful. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if it showed up quite a bit, actually. All right. My first card to discuss is Mall of the Skyclaves. This is two. It's two and a white, although Scryfall thinks it's two and a blue, but it is two and a white for a rare equipment. When it enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, flying and first strike, and it equips for two white, white. To me, this seems like a um, a potent enchantment that uh, I wouldn't... I, like, given the cost and given that it does actually leave something behind... Like, so obviously in Constructed... An artifact with a four-cost equip, that's very likely to be a, a piece of cardboard that sits on the table and does nothing. If they kill the creature that you use the trigger to equip it to, it's likely to not do much for the rest of the game. But I think that still the difference between that and, say, an aura that had this effect is bigger than people will give her credit for. Um, and I think that I wouldn't underestimate the chances of this one being a... Uh, something that you'd use in, in a white aggressive standard deck and certainly this card is beyond beyond broken for uh for draft oh yeah oh, it's bust and limited yeah. yeah it seems incredible unlimited I, th- I think this card is v- pretty good i think it has a good comparison to demonic embrace um where demonic embrace you know gave a creature bonus stats and flying and then if demonic embrace, if they like killed your creature later, you could bring the embrace back at like a premium. Like you have to discard another card and you have to pay three life or whatever. This card functions very much the same way, where it makes one creature big and evasive for a turn, and then maybe they deal with it. But you always have that option to buy it back, and that ability to like buy it back and suddenly do a bunch of damage to your opponent. You know, your opponent can only survive so many hits like that. So I, I agree with you, Tristan. I think this card is pretty good. I think it's going to see a smattering of play, sort of along the same lines of Demonic Embrace. 
Now, this card, I also would like to, to double feature my card here to talk about Utility Knife Wait, as you're well. Just, you're just not going to let Sam talk about Mollusk Cyclops? Just... Yeah, it's right. kind of messed up. Fine, Sam. Go ahead. Um, I was I was going to mention that it also works with the new Nahiri, which ah, yes. seems like kind of a big game to me, potentially. Um, the new Nahiri likes oh, collected companies for equipment. Oh, it puts them in it, your hand, it, though. Collected companies for equipment, it also, its plus one is create a 1-1 one, one white core and attach an, you may attach an equipment to it. Oh, yeah, that is true. So, this so card it works is pretty good with that ability. Yeah, it works on multiple fronts there. So I think that's pretty nice. Um, and I, I think that might be another sort of spot where you see this card. I, I think I'm a little less high on this one than you guys are. Um, I, I am not as convinced Like I, that Demonic Embrace is... Demonic Embrace doesn't strike me as the kind of card that shows up most of the time in Constructed. Um, so I'm not sure that this one will be as well. Yeah, but, I, mean, I, guess, I guess it was best friends with Reggie, and right, Reggie's like, gone. Yeah, Registor was a really big incentive to to play that kind of card, and I don't know that there'll be another card in in a similar vein to that. Um, but I, I agree, it probably has some outs. I, I'm not. I, I wouldn't say I'm overly optimistic, but I don't think it's a zero percenter either. All right. So the card I'd like to double feature as well as is discussed just another card that has the same uh, clause. Utility Knife is a single generic mana for a equipment that gives a creature plus one, plus one, and when it enters the battlefield, you attach it to target creature you control, and it has equipped three. Uh, this card, to me, is reminiscent of... Uh, well, it's it's weird, because it's, it's reminiscent of, like, Pirate's Cutlass back in Ixalan, and that I think that free equip on a, on a cheap equipment here... Makes me think that this one is is going to be an underrated card in, in limited, uh, not in constructed. I I think the stats here are just not good enough for that to be the case. I I do agree with you that like with Pirates Cutlass plus plus two plus one is a big game, whereas plus one plus one is just not that much. It doesn't let your creatures trade up quite as often, and three is such a high equip cost. I. I have tended to really like the short swords of the world, the one mana one, you know, one mana one to equip version, and I think that is more powerful than this. Yes, I think that, that yeah, better the, the, the power of short sword is always that you can move it around, like you move it to one creature, attack, then you bring it to another creature to block with, and then you play another spell. Like short sword moves around a lot because the bonus for plus one plus one, like. When it's relevant, you really need to like seize the moment because it's not always relevant. Um, whereas this one, like, it's very expensive to move around. So if there's an opening where plus almost one is good, it's like kind of it might be hard to take advantage of. Okay. All right. Um, next card is Sam, and Sam has upgraded on my double feature to talk about six cards instead. Yeah. So I, I picked the six dual lands. Um, and these are all using the new mechanic. I, I don't remember the name of. I, I don't know if the name, what the name of it is, but they're all double face lands that come into play and tap for one color. And you could alternately play the backside of them, and they tap for a different color. And the thing I wanted to highlight here is it's really weird that they're doing six dual lands in this set. So, like, you know, normally you'd have some sort of thing you could tell yourself about, like, oh, okay, this is. Uh, they're doing all the enemy ones. They're doing all the ally ones. Well, no, in this case, they're doing blue-red, 
black, white, blue, black, green, white, red, white, and red, green. So three ally, three enemy with, I guess I would say, uh, green or red and white getting an extra. So the, each each color gets touched on twice, except red and white, which get touched on three times. And uh, that is really weird to me. I don't don't totally know what the deal with that is, why they're doing that. Um, I think these lands are really good. I think they're probably going to be less good than they look, than people will think they are, because they don't hit... Um, it's it's just not as good in a three color deck when you don't get access to, you know, actually tapping for multiple different colors. Like, imagine I guess there isn't a blue green one, but imagine you had the blue green one in your in your hero deck, and you played it, and you know, on one side, and then later discovered, oh, I actually need the other color to cast Uro because it's blue, blue, green, green. I think that that's the kind of thing that will come up not infrequently with these. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely bad with Uro because well, of, that card has a lot of strict mana requirements. Yeah, I would say that these cards kind of stack in a in a 60-card deck in a similar way to basic lands where, like, you have a number of spots for them where they're pretty low cost, and then if you exceed that, you'll start to, you'll start to be punished frequently for having them. I think it's more just about the kind of cards you put in your deck. Like, these cards are going to be good at casting spells... Like they'll be good at casting white spells and red spells and black spells as long as each of those spells doesn't have a whole lot of colored mana symbols in them. Because I think these are pretty good at making sure you have one of each of your colors, but not very good at making sure you have every combination of colors that you might need. Yeah, these are pretty good for um, two-color decks with a light splash as well, right? Uh, yeah, I guess... Like if it, with ju- if you just have a very light splash, you you could even potentially support like a sideboard card without any main deck mana sources for it, except for the eight of these lands. I guess I just think like there have been two color decks where you can play a card that costs double of both colors. These cards will not help. Right? That, yes. Really. This is it's. My, I guess my main point is that the the cost for this compared to basic land is very low. Right. It's. The, the only I mean, thing you're giving up on. These are just basically strictly better than basics, right? Like, well, the, there are yeah, aside from castle to considerations or whatever, castle considerations yes. and fetch ability, like fetch. You know, if you want to use the um, fable what's it passage, called? Yeah, yeah, fable passage. Uh, then it has it has further drawbacks from that perspective, but like it's yeah. That the thing is though, there's so, there's such a limited amount of spots for basic lands. And the reason there is such a limited amount of spots for basic lands in multicolor decks is a drawback that's shared by these cards, right? So, I have a rules question. If you use Uro, can you put the backside of one of these into play? I don't I think so, right? I was wondering that as well. I, I don't know the answer, but I don't think so. I don't think you can. Because I think you can choose to play them as either side. But you like if it's just put into play, it has to be the front side. Yeah, I think that all these cards, it's the front side that is looked at for anything except for playing them when you when you can decide to play the back side. All right. Um, Benjamin, you're up next. My next card is Tangled Floral Hedron. Tangled Floral Hedron is a double-sided card. The front side is cost one and a green for an elemental for a 1-1. One, one. just has tap, add a green mana to your mana pool. The backside is Tangled Veil, which is a land. 
It enters the battlefield tap and tapped, and it adds a green mana to your mana pool. Um, so this is an interesting card, I think, because... So it's basically either a mana dork or just a land. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting because this is like a split card whose halves really do the same thing, right? Like, they both add mana. And yet, they're still just kind of good at different points of the game. I've had so many games where I've just been like, okay, I just need to draw land, like, and I draw a Paradise Druid, and I'm like, god damn it, that's not a land. <laughs> like, that's not really what I need. I don't want to spend mana to put Paradise Druid into play and then have lands. I want to just have a land to play. Um, so this card definitely solves that problem. And so that flexibility makes me think that it's it might be good enough for to seek constructed play. Because a two-mana card that taps for mana is, you know, that those cards have seen play, but they've all needed bonuses in order to do so. Like Paradise Druid had two power and had Hexproof. Leafkin El Druid, or whatever that card was called, was an elemental, um, and also sometimes tapped for two. Um, so I think this card might be able to make it. A lot of it is I just don't have a good intuition for how powerful it is to have a land as a fallback plan for one of your cards. My, my intuition tells me it's very powerful, but it's just not something that's really ever been done before, so I'm just not entirely sure. I think I agree with you. I think this card is pretty strong. Um, it's also adorable. Yes. yes. Yeah. It is very cute. Certainly. Somehow they managed to make something that looks like Pyramid Head cute, which is pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah, it does look like Pyramid Head. You're right. I didn't really consider that. Yeah. It's amazing what dra dragging around a cleaver in a bloodied mess will make you look like versus sitting in a grove full of flowers. And, yeah, covering yourself in flowers. Yeah, I, I expect this card to be pretty good. Like, you can always just play it on turn one. I think the, the biggest thing will be that there's sort of... You have only so many slots for this kind of card in your deck, probably. Mm -hmm. But... Do you? I think... Like... We well, only have 60. It depends on how many forests you... Uh... Or 80, depending on if you're well, a Yorish I gamer. I think also at a certain point, you just end up... Like, your deck ends up too weak, you know? It's well, not... aren't you just delighted to replace your forests with this card, though, if you if you don't need other lands? Like, if you're... Well, well it, they come it enters play the tapped. battlefield tapped. Oh, okay. All right, I... <laughs> I did not... I didn't catch that part. All right. That's that's a fairly substantial drawback. Retracted. Retracted. Case. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when, when you play, like, mono green ramp decks, there are certainly a lot of cases where you're, like, really... Your hand is either really missing a forest or it's really missing a land or elves, and, like, having a card that's modal between the two, those two would be extremely strong, but this is, like, a substantially nerfed both of those. Uh, right. I don't think it could see play out of any constructed format that isn't standard. Yeah. Certainly prepared to agree with that. All right, up next is me, and my card is Coveted Prize. Coveted Prize is four and a black for a sorcery. It does cost one less to cast for each creature in your party, however. Uh, and you search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. If you have a full party, you may cast a spell with converted mana cost four or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. Uh, so this card becomes a single black mana for tutor and cast the card if you have a full party. Um, 
I don't know. This it seems like so. It seems like the the draw of this has got to be the the strength of that. Like you know that 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 is an extremely strong mode, particularly if you were if you had some very expensive ultimatum like card to cast with this. And I wonder about the possibility. Uh, of... Excuse me. Hello. Oh. <laughs> All right. Hang on. I I misread this card. I I just I just I I I read out the converted mana cost four or less part, but I still had not really processed that. So, uh, all right, you know, you know. Tristan speaks without thinking. More news at eleven. Yeah, I I don't know how this got past me, given that I read this card like three times now, but it did. So I I originally thought this was a card that would cast anything, but yeah, okay, it only costs a card with converted mana cost four or less. Obviously, then there's not much power in that mode, given that if, if you've assembled a full party, cast if you've assembled a full party, casting a four drop is not an impressive feat, right? Anymore. I feel like this is a card it's that, casting your best four drop, though. That's true. Yeah, and it, it casts. You know, this this card can be uh, a massive, like it's a mana advantage as well. If you have, if you have that full party, it is a big reward. So a deck that assembles a full party frequently, I think is still interested in this, but I don't know. Assembling a full party means you have four creatures in play, which very few decks historically do that in games that are close. Um, so I, I don't know. I would judge, I would judge most party cards instead on the, on the merits of like the two party member mode, which for this card, you know, two and a black for, for tutor is, uh, it's not, I don't know. I, I think that the, the graph on this is not favorable. Like the times where you'd want a a cheaper tutor is when it, the card is expensive, and the times when you have more mana to pay are when the card is is cheaper. So, yeah. yeah. My, my expectation of this card is that it is not good. That said, the payoff for having a full like my expectation is that way because I think having a full party is going to be very mm. difficult. So getting that bonus is going to be very hard. I do think that if you have a full party, this card is ex- like this card is extremely good. This is a very strong payoff. I just, I wonder how many full party. Not not all cards are paying you off for assembling a full party. Like some cards are just shaving a mana or whatever. Um, this card shaves a mana and also like gives you a, a very powerful effect for e- like gives you even more mana um, if you actually manage to to assemble Exodia. Um, so I think the jury's out on this for me. I'm going to have to see how difficult it is to assemble a full party. But if you can do that with any sort of regularity, I think this card's going to be very good. I have to I have to imagine that this is neither a game-winning enough payoff to drop everything and assemble a full party at all costs, uh, which it would have been if that converted mana cost four or less text wasn't there, I think. Um, nor is it like something that'll happen frequently enough to to get you ahead, I don't think. I, like, I don't I don't even think the decks that are capable of assembling a full party should really plan on doing it if that's if that's what it takes to make this card good. But if it's a bonus on an otherwise good card, then that is definitely relevant. I give yeah. this card a 10% chance to see play. 15% chance. Yeah, I'm, I'm also pretty low on it. I, I just don't think it's... I don't know. The... Uh, what was the spell mastery one version of this? Uh, Dark petition. Yeah, that card was pretty good. That card saw play. That card, yeah, that, yeah. that card saw that card saw some some standard play, and I think that was just and, and it didn't see a ton. It saw kind of sort of I, I would say fringe standard play, yeah. and that condition is a heck of a lot easier to meet than this one. Like 
just you sort of yeah, just it also gives that you less, by playing less, the game. It also gives you like way less mana, though, right? Yeah, that that card. Well, no, not oh, way I mean, less, right? It gives you three instead of one. Yeah, it gives you three instead of four. Well, well I guess I guess no, it gives but having, you having a full party gives you eight mana. Like, oh sure, because well, yeah, like dark petition costs two mana. Having a full party, this card costs negative three mana. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I would be surprised if this one showed up. I think I, my expectation is that when you have a full party, you are just winning the game by quite a bit. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. that yeah. That's and, why I think that. Yeah, that, that's why I think it's not going to see play either. But if it so happens that there are like resilient cards that make it easy to get a party, but not easy to kill your opponent, then I think this card will be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's reasonable. Like if Kitesail Freebooter were a rogue, for example. <laughs> that was a discussion we had earlier, I think before we started recording, but Oh really? Maybe it's in. Maybe it's in. I don't know. If it's not in, maybe I'll put it after the show. I'm always always looking for something to put there. Um so up next though is Sam. My next card is Skyclave Apparition, which is white white one for a two two core spirit so doesn't hit either of the uh of the desired types unfortunately but it says uh when skyclave apparition enters the battlefield exile up to one target non-land permanent you don't control with converted mana sorry non-land non-token permanent you don't control with converted mana cost four or less and then it has when Skyclave Apparition leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. So this is my pick for the most over-designed card in the set, for starters. <laughs> Why does it, it make a blue illusion? It's really weird that it makes you... It has this targeting restriction of non-land, non-token... And it can't cost more than four, but then it also pays you off along the axis of caring about what the cost of the thing you took away is. Like, it just seems really weird to me to do both of those things at the same time, you know? Um, also, yeah, it's not a, like you're going to exile something and not return it to the battlefield, right? But you still need to track the card. So are you putting that card under your Skyclave Apparition? If so, like when it dies, where, you know... It's it's it seems like a it seems like a weird thing to me because like previously they've done these these white effects where you exile something and then something still happens but it's not the card coming back right um, like the one in Ixalan right where they got a dinosaur but this time you still have to track that card so I f- I feel like that will lead to con- confusion as well where yeah that's that's a really good point actually I didn't think about that but that's very true I think um. But I, I also think this card is really good, and I'm kind of happy that it's around. This seems like an actually good answer to Uro to me, or at least decent. Um, in in a really, th- th- this I seems mean, like one of the most powerful cards in the set to me. Uro has to be in play for it to be hitting Uro. Fair, and there's definitely Which you know so, something implied about limited... the game state once Uro gets to play. Um, yeah, but so... I, I I do think that this is just a really potent ability like I, I wouldn't be surprised if humans pick this up to replace deputy of detention that they often play 
I don't know. It just just seems kind of good to me. Yeah, I, I definitely. It's nice that the thing goes away forever. Yeah, you get rid of the thing forever. It kind of it kind of like beast withins their thing, and I, I think that's I think that might be really good. Yeah, I mean it doesn't it doesn't even necessarily have the drawback unless they, your opponent can kill this card, but it is very much a, <laughs> an eminently killable magic card. I also kind of like that it makes removal live against creatureless decks. Like you exile one of their stupid permanents and then they kill this and they get a creature back and then you're like, oh, at least I have something to fatal push now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that, I think that will come up and matter. Or I guess Blood Chief's Thirst is what, uh, is what I should have said instead of fatal push. Yeah. Thank you, Thank you Benjamin. Yeah, so I, I'm excited to play with this card even if I do think it's a little weird. Yeah, I, I agree with Sam. It's pretty good, although I would I would take issue with one of the best answers to Uro. Thanks, Scavenging. Uh, sorry, I, I don't mean to say one of the best answers to Uro. I just meant an answer to Uro. It's, certainly is, okay. a, it's a card with live text against Uro, which is not all of them. Uh, all right, up next is Benjamin. Uh, my next card is Linvala, Shield of Seagate. Linvala, Shield of Seagate is one a white and a blue mana for a 3-3 legendary creature angel wizard which by the way is really weird because i think this might be the first time that an angel has had a second creature type like angels are just angels you know i would have guessed that like some of the angels of wrath were warriors or whatever like some of the boros ones maybe i'll Mm. I'll search for it don't worry yeah tristan can scratch follow it up yeah uh, um, anyway, this is a it's a three three legendary creature angel wizard, so it does fit a party. Um, it has flying, obviously. It's an angel. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, choose target non land permanent and opponent controls. Until your next turn, it can't attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. Sacrifice Linvala. Choose hexproof or indestructible creatures you control. Gain that ability until end of turn. So. This isn't clearly a party card. Uh, it protects creatures and it gives you a payoff for having a full party. Um, I think this card is very good. The rate is very strong. Um, and saving your creatures from sweepers is going to be an essential function of a card if you're playing a deck that is trying to get, you know, assemble a party because you're just going to have, you're trying to put a bunch of creatures in play. Uh, so, and I like that they sort of, it's a legendary creature. But it's basically a flag bearer. Like, if they have removal, they have to target Linvala because you can not only sacrifice it to give things indestructible, but you can also do it for hexproof. So, no matter what they have. Sorry? I was going to say it is a little awkward against Extinction Event. Yeah, that's true. You don't get to dodge that one. But, like, almost no matter what they have, they're going to have to shoot Linvala, which means that you could probably just play four copies of this legendary card. Um,. One thing I want to say is that this is definitely like a party enabler. Don't confuse it as a party payoff. It does have a mild payoff for you for assembling a full party, but I don't think that that is going to be like... That should not be why you put this card in your deck, I think. I think just all the other abilities are are going to be the most important ones. Although I suppose this ability does start turning off Uro um, in a similar vein once you've like assembled a full party because i do think that one one way games can go is like someone like uses some removal spells to buy some time and then puts uro into play and sort of expects uro to trump all the creature stuff that's going on 
But if you can assemble like a party through removal spells and Linvala, then you, you can keep her on, on lock and not have it just take over the game. Um, and then also notably, Linvala can shut off Planeswalkers. So I think this card is going to f- see a fair amount of play uh, in sort of like white, blue, fishy, uh, I guess fish is the wrong word, but like aggro control or tempo tempo decks fishy fishy might be the might be a correct word aggro control it's it's gone by (laughs) a lot of names throughout (laughs) magic's life lifetime i guess delver decks is what it's most commonly known by nowadays certainly sounds fishy to me all right back with a report i have before sam gets to have his tay on the card is uh uh, there are a lot of angels with other types, but you're right that the overwhelming majority are just angels. But we have angel allies, angel spirits, uh, angel horrors, Eldrazi angels, angel illusions, and even a cyborg angel, although that one is silver-bordered. Back to you. A cyborg angel? Yep. Yeah. Do-it-yourself seraph. A, uh, a card from Unstable. All right. Good, good to know, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think this card looks pretty good to me um i don't yeah i don't know if i don't know how much you would play it in party decks but even just with its abilities although this card this card type i would say has tended to underperform um i like i think dauntless bodyguard wasn't all that good uh what's the name of the there was a one with battalion that like countered spells that had X in their costs or something like that. Frontline medic. Frontline medic. That one also kind of that ended up. Saw a lot of play. Mm, did it? I don't yeah. remember it. Seeing, I don't remember it being particularly it, it, good. It saw play in the decks that were bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's kind of what I meant. <laughs> it saw play when people didn't want to play mono black, mono blue, or Sphinx's Revelation. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know the. These cards have tended to look very appealing to me and then not be all that good. So that's... I'm a little nervous about this, but this looks like one of the best versions of it so far. So, you know, maybe this maybe this time it'll work. I'm, I'm kind of imagining the Arrested Development meme where they're like, oh, people always do that and it never works, but maybe it will for us. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this will be the one. Uh, all right. Um, up next is... Me, with a card called Balaged Recovery. Balaged Recovery is two and a green for a sorcery that returns target card from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, and it's also the backside, so you could also play it as Balaged Sanctuary, which is a enter the battlefield tapped forest. Uh, actually, I'm not even sure if it's technically a forest. It's enter the battlefield tapped land that taps for green. Uh, so much the same vein as the Tangled Florahedron that Benjamin was talking about earlier. Uh, this card also is green. I feel like this one is a little bit less of a opening hand fixer and a little bit more, though, of a card that is... I feel like there are, in, in most parts of the game, where you don't want a regrowth, you do want a land. And in most parts of the game where you don't want a land, you do want a regrowth. So I think that this is a uh, a card that... The modality of it, I think, is maybe even potentially better than than the Mana Dork slash Land split card. Um, Because I I feel like the drawbacks of both of these cards are really almost... are handled by the other side pretty pretty nicely. Well, this one scores high on the modes are very different from each other axis, which the Mana Dork one did not. But 
This it scores very low on the card that I would normally put into my deck access. Yes, that's that's fair. That is fair. Two and a green return target card from your graveyard to your hand is not not particularly close to a playable card without this backside. But I don't know. On the other hand, like the reasons it's not are largely opportunity cost based, and the opportunity cost is is dramatically lessened here with with this mode. Yeah, I, I kind of think this card might be sneaky good. I'm I'm not sure, but it, it just looks decent to me in a lot of ways. I think like most of the time playing a land, but some of the time like some of the time cycling your land into a into a good spell like that is much better than a cycling forest, right? Like, imagine yes. a forest with Cycling 3. This is, like, a much, much, much better version of that. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know how many forests with Cycling 3 people would play. Not many, but what if it was, like, a tutor for 3? I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're just That's... coming up with different ways to describe this, the effect uh, in favorable or unfavorable terms. But I I think that it's it's somewhere between... Like, it's it's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful to draw whatever card you want into your graveyard. That's... Yeah, I mean, I think it has a chance for sure, just because the the modes are so different from each other. But right now, I would bet against. All right, um, I don't know this whole this whole card type. I think is like th- there's cards that remind me of like Chartooth Cougar. You know, there's a there's like a four and a color. I forget which color actually for like a four or five. With the backside, it's one of these. You just okay. weren't even close. <laughs> yeah, with the backside. What what card are you thinking of? It's it's a limited card. It's a I think it's a six mana four five. Yeah, no, Char- what, no Char- Chartooth Cougar is a six mana four four with mountain cycling. No, he's yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, just describing a Coom Warrior, yeah. which is a six mana four five trample that you can play as a come into play tapped land. Yeah. Oh. So to me, like. I don't know. The the comparison with Chartu Cougar is really favorable for for this new card, right? Like it's 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 like you're cycling but you pay you pay two less to cycle it, right? Like you cycle it into a land for free in the games where you want to land. Um so I I feel like it's a very powerful like the the expensive creatures with the land on the backside are are extremely powerful as well. Yeah, but Chartooth Cougar wasn't a constructed card, right? I, I'm not necessarily talking only talking about constructed. There, I, I don't like. I don't. I don't think this that card is a constructed card either. The six mana four five. It just doesn't have it. But like in limited, I think it's a, a much better Chartooth Cougar, which was already a fantastic card that yes. I could never get enough I th- of. I think this card is extremely good in limited. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's most of where I was going that. there. Um, and then I think that this this particular one, Ballad Recovery, because the power level of regrowth scales with the format you're in, I have a little bit more. I I I I, I, still, I think it's going to be good and constructed. I'll say it. All right, all right. We'll have to come back particularly in months and see what happens. Once we made, like one of the problems is it has a little bit of anti synergy with a, a little known card named Uro, um, but. There's always hope that someday we'll be playing in a format without Uro. So also sorry, what card? Uro? Yeah, I'm not sure what that card is. Ah, yeah, it's, it's a little-known card. I, I I wouldn't blame you for not knowing what it does. You can listen to some of our previous episodes where we talked a little bit about it. Did you mean Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath? Ah, yes, that one. Oh, okay. okay. I don't get it. Why is Ben being pedantic and weird? 
well, <laughs> he's being pedantic because he's awake and he's being weird not even with that restriction um, alright um, let's, let's move on to Sam you have the final card of us for today alright so my card is Nighthawk Scavenger which is black black one for a one plus star slash three so bear with me for a second with flying death touch lifelink that's uh that has the ability nighthawk scavengers power is equal to one plus the number of card types among cards in your opponent's graveyard so it's like a tarmogoyf except it only counts its power and it's one plus the num plus the tarmogoyf number and also only looks at opponent's graveyards and I am going to come out and say that I don't think this card is particularly good. I think a lot of the power of Tarmogoyf has to do with the fact that, like, Thoughtseize into Tarmogoyf is a sorcery in your yard. Whatever they, you know, whatever they discarded in theirs, whatever you got with the Thoughtseize, and then, like, a fetch land, and then you've already got a reasonable size creature. Whereas with this one, you just don't have any of the same kinds of guarantees that people will be cooperating with having a variety of card types. And I don't think that Vampire Nighthawk has ever been constructed playable. I think people tricked themselves into playing it in constructed back in the day, but I think it was quite bad. And I, I think that this is, you know, probably going to end up in a similar space. That's my, that's my prediction. I think my friend played Vampire Nighthawk at a modern pro tour. Yeah, people used to put that card in their modern decks and like old extended decks. They put it in fairies and stuff. It was really bad. It's not a good card. You shouldn't play with it. It was it was one of those cards where it's so good and limited and had such a like pedigree from that that people played with it a lot more than they should. This card is much better than Vampire Nighthawk though. Just I agree it is. But I think but, but Vampire Nighthawk is roughly the floor, right? That's if uh, they have one card type. I mean, one thing I like about this card a lot is that it has abilities that work both when it's small and when it's big. Like, it has Death Touch when it doesn't have a lot of power, so you can play defensively. And then it has Life Link when it does have a lot of power. So you can, like, get a bunch of life by attacking your opponent. So, you know, I think it's going to be hard to control the power level, or sorry, to control the power of this card, but I like that it it will be relevant on the board state sort of regardless of how much power it has, as long as your opponent has creatures. Yes, but against the decks, like if your opponent doesn't have creatures, that is also a, a time where you want this to be the biggest as possible, right? If they don't have creatures, hopefully they have spells, so it's kind of big. Mm, I guess. Uh, I, I think this card has a better shot in Constructed than you're giving it credit for, Sam. Uh, Sorry, I, I do think this will be standard playable. Oh, I do not okay. think it will. I've I've seen people talking about scaling it back to older formats, and oh, I do no. not think he heavens no, heavens no. Uh, I mean, I've part, seen part of the power of Tarmogoyf even beyond the sequence that you said is that it is just hard to kill. It has a lot of toughness. This card does not have a lot of toughness. It is not yeah. hard to kill. Like, yeah, Tarmogoyf uh, and also and it costs cheap. a full more mm -hmm. mana. Yeah, like I I'm not about this card in in older formats. I do think this card will be played in standard though. I think it probably will be played in standard, and I think it will be worse. Like, I, I don't know. You also I think, think it will be overplayed in standard. Yes, I do. 
You really hate cards that have death, touch, and lifelink. I've noticed this about you. I, I believe that is an appealing combination of, of stat of skills that does not add very much power to the card. They never uh, they're never both good at the same time. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Uh, it's not never, but they're rarely it's rare that they are both relevant on the same board or on the same card. At the, or at the same time. I don't know. Whatever. Let's get out of here. <laughs> this has been a good discussion of some cards. I've made a complete fool of myself several times this episode, as per normal. As per usual, even. There we go. I've done it again. Um, let's, let's depart are you with sure the end story. You, are you sure you don't mean you dan it again? <laughs> I, I've, I've dan it again, man. Um, we we actually have, a, we have an end story submission from a patron, but we'll save that for a, a future episode as we have a host one for today yeah so i've been playing a decent amount of among us recently uh for those of you who haven't played it yet it's a social deception game where you're on a ship with nine other crewmates uh two of you are secretly alien assassin people uh who are trying to kill all of the other crewmates the crewmates are trying to repair their ship so that they can escape while simultaneously trying to figure out who the imposters are so that they can vote them off the island. Um, and so this is a game you play over, like, Discord. You know, everyone has to mute themselves so that they don't... Like, you can only talk to each other at specific times, like when you, you have, like, a meeting and stuff. So I was playing this game with Josh McLean, and one thing about the game is that after... after uh, someone is killed by the aliens, the other crewmates can, like, find the body. And if they find the body, they can report the body. And that, like, triggers a meeting so that everyone can talk. And I was just, like, sitting with Josh McClain in a room, doing my tasks, trying to fix the ship. And Josh McClain just stabs me in the back and kills me. And just instantly, after stabbing me in the back and killing me, reports my body. So after he reports my body, this little screen pops up. And it's like, oh, Josh McLean reported a body. And Josh is just like, wait, who, who reported the body? Where's no, he the said, body? Where's, yeah, where's yeah, the he body? Said, he said, where's the body? And everyone was just like, uh, Josh, didn't you report it? And he's just like, yeah, but where's the body? Like, who, who found it? And he just didn't realize that he had reported on himself <laughs> for like, like a solid 20 seconds or something. And, you know, trying to, trying to recover from that is tough when everyone then just thinks you're the imposter. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know what's going on here, but Josh is obviously near your body and he doesn't want us to know where it is. So so Josh got voted off. I was avenged, thankfully. Um, and then later on in a, in a different game, in our, in our like next game, uh, you're supposed to mute yourselves while you're running around and doing your tasks while it's not a meeting time. But Josh forgot to mute himself. So he's just going around and he's just like, yeah. Yeah, we're definitely going to win on tasks. And we're just like, Josh, mute yourself. He's just, he's just walking around like, man, this is so great. This game is so easy. And we're just like, Josh, mute yourself. And he's just still running around like with his, we can just hear everything that's going on. He's muttering to himself. He's talking about his strategy in the game. And then like finally the meeting happens and... Josh finally realizes, like, oh, I didn't mute myself. I muted everybody else. <laughs> and then someone still tried to throw suspicion at Josh. And I was just like, I just lost it. I was just like, all right, Josh McLean is totally 
you know, safe for a variety of reasons, most of which are cheating. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, it would have been a genius, uh, uh, genius imposter play. I don't, I, I believe that that, I, I, I would not count it as a win, nor would I play, would I want to play with anybody who counted it as a win to do that. And, and yeah, but that's I, also I not Josh. That, that's not Josh's style, anyway. Right. Yeah. I think the first time you did it, it would be very funny and and clever, and then times after that, it would not. I, yeah. I think. I think the main you, thing is you just don't want to set a precedent. Yeah, and if you, you know, I think an important thing about that game is the uh, the muting is not some like it's something that shouldn't be metagamed around because if it is, then it. Defeats yes, purpose. I I agree with that. All right. That is going to be all for us this week, though. We will unite again next week for more Allied Strategies. Benjamin, do you, how, um, how suspicious do you think it is when somebody finds the body in Among Us? Mm, I mean, my prior is that they're okay, but they might it depends on what other people say. Like it's, I could still easily suspect them of being the imposter. Like if other people are just paired up and this person was alone, then it's pretty suspicious. Yeah. It's a cool game. Like, you know, reporting a body makes you more suspicious than someone who is with someone else. But like, not like if it's going to be between the person who reported the body and the person who didn't, I'll usually side on the person who reported the body. How, um, how much do you? My my least favorite thing about the game was there. There, I played it a little bit, and there turned it turned into a little bit of metagaming around like people who had the tasks tasks that you could see them performing. Uh, were like that was used to screen so, people. So you should play on the beta where you can disable that. Oh, good. Okay, that is. Yeah, we we just disable the option to confirm yourself by tasks. Yeah, I, th- Although, I think the confirming by tasks is. Uh, it, like it is reasonable until it, until people learn that, that you can do it. It's reasonable to do it the first game. That's a cool like, thing that comes up there. And then from then on, when like a party goes to the med bay and everybody scans in order, and then all like vouch each other, it's uh yeah. Really those people stuff. like when you're the imposter though, you just you basically come up with a way to kill them. Then it's, it's, I think it's not too hard to do that to kill a specific person, but. It certainly is not. I, I don't love. I mean, I think the game is better turning that off. So. Yeah, I agree. I like turning that and the imposter reveal off. Yeah. Oh, when you don't know who. Wait, you can turn it off so that you don't know. You don't know if the person you killed was good or evil. Yeah. Oh, that's badass. Which yeah, that's, opens that's up a lot idea. more strategies, like just saying I saw X pop out of event, because you can no longer just like kill one then kill the other, like. Mm. It's not, I mean, you can sometimes, but it, like, sometimes people are just mistaken about what they saw. <laughs> like, right. I, I think that that is, uh, is fantastic. A fanta- fantastic thing to remove, because I, I only played it for about half an hour, but I ran into that situation of, uh, we will kill this person, and if they weren't the imposter, we'll kill the person who, you know, who full-throatedly accused them. Yeah, it helps with that a lot. It is strange how many knobs they give you to tune your own game. Oh, I think it's very good. Yeah, I, I think that it's fantastic given that it's a, a game that is so 
dependent on like a local meta game because like you could imagine that the same those same set of rules being applied to uh, a more casually playing group like a group that didn't have such a didn't didn't have a inherent you know gamerness Gamer. to them yeah would uh, would be pretty negative actually yeah well I also just love that you can modify the settings with different counts of people because the game is balanced differently at different settings I think like or at different numbers of people like when you have when you have seven people and two imposters, you can jack up the kill cooldown a lot to like make it playable. Whereas otherwise, it just wouldn't be playable. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can like nerf imposters, you can buff imposters, like just based on how much each group has been winning. It's just it's really well done. I thought. 